Christ's name. Amen. Today we start a new series called Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Today we're going to be kind of dealing with distraction. In a couple of weeks, after in-home worship, December 11th, we're going to be talking about darkness and really the distance of God and the dryness of waiting for God through seasons where he feels like he's far away. And then December 18th, we're going to look at waiting on the Lord in terms of discernment, in terms of stepping out with God and waiting on Him. There's a lot of ways that we wait for the Lord, but today we're going to be looking at that idea of distraction. I've called this lesson, Why Wait? Why Wait? Now, our culture answers why wait very differently than what I mean today. Our, our culture is a culture of hurry. It's a culture of now. It's a culture of immediacy. It's a culture of Amazon Prime. You can have groceries delivered to your door. You could be shopping right now, and lunch will be waiting for you, because why wait? You can do it. I can have it all. I can have it all right now. It's immediate. It's, it's hurried. It's full. That, that's our culture, and it's no stretch of imagination to any of us to kind of understand and experience that sense of hurry. And I think this season in particular can often feel very hurried, and that's why I want to wait on the Lord. We all fill in the blank. The most blank time of the year. Wonderful. Okay, now tell the truth. <laughs> no, it's, it is wonderful. It's, this is the most wonderful time of the year. I, I think so. It is the most beautiful time of the year. Yes. It is the most red time of the year. Yes, that too. Stressful. Keep going. Consumerist. Okay. Okay. Busy. Frenzied. Yes. Exhausting time of the year. Yes. It's full. There's a lot. For some, it's filled with people and places and kind of activities and events. For others, it's filled with loneliness. This can be the most lonely time of the year. There's a lot of ways to answer this question, right? But there's something about this, this culture of why wait? We can have it all now that says, I need to go, 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 go during this season. So just to kind of close your eyes. Imagine yourself on the starting blocks of a race. You know what I mean? Where they put their hands down on the white stripe right in front of them. Their feet are in the blocks, and they are about to run a race. Are you see? Are you on the track? You're you are about to begin a sprint. And the gun goes off, and you take off running. Today begins the race. And then you go you go around the straight, around the, the corner, and then you start heading home. You think the finish line is here, and then it's just like another lap. And then another lap, and then another lap. And I think that is what it feels like to be in December. That is this time of year. It feels like a race that's so full and it just keeps going. If you just look at your calendar, there's going to be a lot of things that start filling up. If, if you have children, this is true. If, you, if you're in school, this is true. You, you've got papers due. You've got final exams coming. You've got to get home to see them. You've got to see them. You've got to see them. You get holiday parties and little gift exchanges. You have birthday parties in the mix. My son's basketball season starts this month. I was like, why this month? <laughs> of all the months, this is the worst one. But here we are. we got practice. we got games on top of all the other stuff. And for me, this is just coming off a pretty busy week. I just flew in from Portland last night, you know, flight delays, airports. Portland's a long way away. You know, it's, it's felt hurried. It's felt full. It's felt exhausting. It's felt busy. Now, we've had moments of rest along the way, but I'm ready for a season of waiting. 
And today I want to invite you to Advent. Advent is the season of waiting in the Christian calendar. There is a calendar that's foist upon us. And the calendar has become increasingly consumeristic, Marcus, to use that word. It's filled with now and hurry and more and this fear of missing out and this, this almost like greediness for gifts. But there is a way to resist. And the way to resist in a culture of hurry is to wait on the Lord. One of the things that gets displaced in a culture of hurry is the Lord. Richard Foster, he's, he wrote a, a great book called The Celebration of Discipline. He says, in contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things. Speaking of demonic last week and waiting this week, he says the adversary majors in three things. Noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Dallas Willard, another kind of spiritual disciplines guru, he says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Carl Jung, the psychologist, not a Christian, he says hurry isn't of the devil, it is the devil. One of my favorite authors and preachers is a guy named John McComer. He was running his discipleship plan by a Christian psychologist that he respects. And the psychologist said, yeah, yeah, this is fine. The problem is the people, and he says, most people are just too busy to live an emotionally healthy and spiritually rich life. C.S. Lewis, the spiritual director, nearly 100 years ago, called Hurry the Death of Prayer. And a survey of 20,000 Christians done a few years ago found that the, the major block to spiritual health is busyness. You see, in this culture of hurry, it seems like God gets displaced. And so today, what I mean by wait on the Lord is to create a space and a margin of waiting in order to be with the Lord. This is kind of a reminder of our rhythm of life as a church here, of practicing the way of Jesus in silence and solitude. Now, God is a God of patience. He is long-suffering. He is persevering. He is waiting. There's a theologian. He called, he called the speed of love. He says, three mile an hour God. He says, our God moves at three miles an hour. He's talking about the walking speed of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus walks at three miles an hour because love is slow. He says, if he, were, if he weren't love, he would have been much faster. But he moved with the pace of love. So what would it look like this season instead, or maybe in the midst of hurry and busyness and exhaustion and more and more and more, and now and now and now, to create a, a space to wait on the Lord? We're going to dive into Psalm 62. We already read it this morning, but... Kind of want to slow down and meditate on the psalm together. Why wait? Psalm 62 begins in verse 1. There's a lot of different ways to say this in the translations, but ESV is what you'll have on the screen today. He says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. The psalm begins with this, this poem of David. And David is a man who's on the run. He's very hurried in this season of his life. This seems to be when David, he's, he's long past running from Saul, and now he's running from his own son, Absalom. 
Absalom is revolting. He's leading a revolution against him. And David has been forced out of the, the capital city of Jerusalem. He's forced out of his palace and he's on the run. People are trying to take his throne. And he's like, where is my security going to come from? Where, where's my identity going to come from? And he's reminding himself in this psalm that God alone, my soul waits in silence. God is not found in my hurry. God is not found in my running. God is not found in my power. God is not found in my riches. God, my refuge, my strength, my fortress, my salvation. God alone. Do you see how God alone is the focus in the first two verses? But he says, my soul waits in silence. If you have the NIV, the NIV says that our, our soul is resting in God. This, this word alone, it's actually used seven times, the God only, 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 only. It's just the sevenfold reminder of keeping the focus on the Lord in this, it's this exclusiveness that him alone, he's the only one who can do it. One commentator, he says that David's like running wild. He says any strength or effectiveness attributed to the enemy is nullified from the start. God alone, the intentions of the wicked have no real substance since they are engulfed by the power of God which renders the void. What he's saying is that from the beginning, David is reminding himself of where his centering security comes from. And it's, it comes from God alone. And God alone, he says, my soul rests. One translation says, my soul is silent. It's not literal silence, but it's this calmness with the Lord. Even in the midst of the hurry, David is finding strength. He calls him my salvation, my rock, my salvation, my fortress. The God who gives him rest does it in a very personal way. I love this, how personal it is. Now, one of my concerns kind of as a culture of music and a culture of worship in America is that everything is about me, 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 I, I, I. I, I want to push back on that, and I, I love when we sing we and our, but it's totally appropriate. <laughs> To sing and to pray, me and my and I. The Psalms are filled with very personal longings to be with God. That's David. He's going to start with me and then he's going to expand it to us. He says, verse 3 How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? He says, How long is this going to go on when I'm just feeling broken down and weakened and tottering? Like I'm on the verge. In verse 4, he goes on. He says, they plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They blessed me with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Do you see the days? He, he's trying to remind himself that he and God have a security. And it's like this fortress that's surrounded by people coming and knocking and beating and shooting arrows and attacking. And I know that that's not our context, right? You are not a king on the run with revolutionaries trying to attack your kingdom. But I do think that there's an element of insecurity in each of our lives. And I, I want to reflect on that. This word, Selah, it's used throughout the Psalms. And it's this pause. It's a break in the Psalms. It's really just a structural break. It's like end of verse 1 kind of thing. But a lot of scholars say that there's this idea of what they call faithful silence within this word. That's part of the idea here, scholars suggest behind the term Selah, the term functions, when one comes here, says, is a kind of pause, both in the text and as an invitation to the reader to wait, to listen, to meditate, and not to rush on. 
Okay, so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you a question in a way that you can personalize what David is writing about. David's writing about, I need a refuge, I need a fortress, I need a stronghold, because my enemies are coming in. His insecurity is not your insecurity. So let's take a sailor break, okay? Will you grab the bulletin that's somewhere on your row and flip it over on the back and it's blank? And would you just give about 30 to 60 seconds to answer this question? Where do you feel insecure? Where do you feel hurried? Where do you feel tottering, to use David's word? Where do you feel imbalanced? Where do you feel stretched thin? David is on the run, people are after him, and he's feeling under attack, he's feeling overwhelmed. Where do you feel that? Okay, can you just take 30 to 60 seconds? Just jot down a few notes. I'm convinced that underneath a lot of the surface of anger and hurry and, and kind of the pace of life, there's actually underneath those things that we feel, like the impatience and, and the emotional outburst, underneath that is a culture of busyness and hurry. I think a lot of our insecurity comes from grasping for security, from us thinking that now and more is the solution to those questions. That's not where David goes. So take, take yours and put it into the psalm now. Let's continue on. Verse 1 said the same thing as a description, but now it's a call to action. It was, my soul waits. Now he's speaking to himself. For God alone, oh my soul, wait. Wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only, remember the God alone, God alone, seven times. This, this only, only, only him. It's exclusive to him. It can't come from anywhere else. But my soul waits in silence. He's speaking to him. He's preaching to himself. He's saying, soul, you know this. It doesn't feel like this. I'm on the run. I'm going from cape to cape to cape. You, you think that your strength is going to come from your armies and from your loyalties and from your friends and from your allies and from your riches and from your palace and from your stronghold. You think this, but remember where it really comes from. This is my hope. Is from him. He is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I shall not be shaken. There is nothing that is happening in this feeling of insecurity that actually threatens this security that I have in him. You see the stronghold language. It's actually all over the Psalms. That God is our light and our salvation. He is our stronghold. He is our refuge. It's a place of safety. This past week I got to go to the coast of Oregon, just outside Portland. And there's these huge rocks and these lighthouses and these fortresses of safety in the face of these smashing waves. This is the description of the share. It's a refuge. It's a place of safety. It's a rock. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. 
Trust in him at all times, O people, is moved from the personal to the, the corporate. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Let's do another Selah break. He says that I, I need a refuge, I need a fortress, I need security. So just take 30, 60 seconds and answer this next question. If the first one was about feeling overwhelmed and insecure, this one is about feeling secure. Where do you, where do you go for security? Where do you go to try to kind of patch together your own fortress? And then how could God be your security in that place instead? Can you just give a little time to answer that question? I'm doing the same thing, by the way. love the progression in the soul. Who God is, to who God is for me, to who God is for us. He's going to point out some common ways of grasping for security. Look at verse 9. He says, though those of lowest state are but a breath, those of highest state are a delusion. Status. Status is one way to grasp for security, but he says neither one is actually in the balances, they go up, and they are together lighter than a breath. If you have read the book of Ecclesiastes, this word breath is the same word like heaven. It's a vapor. It's, it's here for a moment, and then it's gone. Better, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, better one handful with tranquility, peace, than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. He says, your, your, your lineage won't give you security. Your status will not, your mom and dad won't give you security. High born, low born, it doesn't matter. Everybody's a breath in the end. A vapor that is chasing after the wind. It's not just status and families. It's put no trust in extortion. It's no vain hopes on robbery. There's this oppression of power, this leveraging of privilege, this exercise of strength for the benefit only of self. And he says that power cannot be your security. He says riches cannot be your security. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. He says do not think that that is what secures your life. Money? Wealth? No. Power? Strength? No. Family? Status? No. Where does our strength come from? He says God alone is my rock and my fortress. God alone is my salvation. So, so remember, rest in God in silence. Wait for him in silence. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. It is the mercy, the love, and the power and strength of God that make him the bulwark, the, the, the refuge, the stronghold, the rock. He says, for you will render to a man according to his word. God is the source of our 
security. But what does this have to do with schedules? Well, for me, I realized that a lot of the reasons that my schedules are filled up are because of people asking me to do things, or feeling like I don't want to miss out on things, or feeling like if I'm not there for that thing, then who am I going to be to those people? There's this grasping that happens even in terms of my calendar that I, I realize is here. It's not just a calendar issue, it's a whole life, it's a whole heart issue for me. That the pace of life that I live at is very much correlated to my grasping for some kind of security and standing. And this psalm reminds me that my standing actually comes from a God who wants me to wait on Him in silence. So this season, instead of hurry, instead of muchness and manyness, instead of busyness and exhaustion, how can we carve out time to wait on the Lord? For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. I want to share three reminders of just disciplines, and I want to encourage you to make time for them. These aren't new. These are things that we try to practice regularly in our rhythms of life, but they are silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Silence is just time when everything's turned off. For me, I'm going to spend Advent social media free as best I can. Social media free. Maybe you want to do Netflix free or, or internet free or no TV. Or maybe there's a few days of the week where you want to kind of just quiet things down. Is there some way to capture more silence this month in all of the hurries? What I mean by solitude is time alone. This, uh, if, you're, if you're not careful, you'll look at your calendar and realize that nearly every day is filled up by somebody else's agenda. And, and it's not the Lord's agenda, you know, that's filling it up. So what, what would it look like to carve out maybe a space in the mornings or a space a day a week, sometime this month, to just be with the Lord, to practice silence with the Lord as a way of waiting on Him. It's going to take some waiting in silence, resting in God alone, to actually find the security that feels so ethereal and like a baby. The, the third one is Sabbath. What do I mean by Sabbath is this word rest, and the word rest shows up all through Psalm 62. It says, God, I want to rest in you. And what I don't mean by Sabbath is some rigid kind of law-keeping, you have to keep Sabbath in order to be a believer. No, that question was settled in the first century. That's not what I mean. I mean rest is a way of practicing soul care. Sabbath is a way of finding time to be with the Lord and to enjoy the center of the presence. And so you may do this each week. This is what my family tries to practice. We 24 hours from one evening to the next evening once a week. You may be saying, that's too much. Can you do 12 hours? 12 hours where you're just, you're not, you're not saying yes to somebody else's thing. You're saying no to, to space where you can rest and take a nap and where you can worship. My family loves to turn on uh, worship music on YouTube, and we just have that basically going all day on Sabbath. I go outside, and it's not raining, I'll probably have a fire. Um, and it's a way for me to just kind of sit down, no screens, just kind of be. And to get my journal out, my devotional book, and to just practice some disciplines and some time with the Lord. It fills my soul to do that. And yet, sometimes my calendar didn't have room for it. Those are three disciplines. And I just encourage you to make use of those. Now, to help with this, we have this, like I said, the, the gift bags on the, on the thing are for families. One per family. If you've got kids, 
They carve out some time in the evening or at breakfast in the morning before school. It'll take about 15 minutes to kind of work through the activity. There's everything you need is in that bag. And it's a daily kind of slowing down of being with the Lord. And if you don't have kids, you may be thinking, well, what about me? You know, I want this too. You know, I, I'm in college, I've got finals, I've got all the hurry that you're talking about. You see, you don't need a gift bag, but there are a few candles there for me and, and really my kids too. Just lighting a candle can be a sensory reminder as I do my devotional practice. It's the first thing I do when I get to the office. I light a candle and I pray or reflect on the word. Um, maybe that you can grab one of those that are next to the gift bags and you can use that uh, Advent reading plan to go along. But I really want to introduce this idea of holy inactivity. Holy inactivity. In a season that's filled with activity, to practice holy inactivity. This line comes from James in the New Testament. He says, I want you, in all your trials and all the things you're going through, he says, I want you to count all joy. Why? He says, because when we're tested, we grow patience and perseverance. He has this line. He says, let patience have its perfect work. There's, there's something about patience. There's something about waiting. Where in the waiting, God is working. And we want to short circuit. We don't like the seasons of waiting. We don't like the in-between. We want it now, and we want more. And we want the immediacy, that hurry. But when we do that, we short circuit the work of God that could be done through patience. In the waiting, God is growing. In the waiting, God is transforming. When we wait on the Lord, the Lord works on us. Let patience have its perfect work. So practice waiting. And last thing, I want to just kind of extend this invitation to practice Advent. Advent may be brand new to you. Advent is a season of the Christian calendar. It's been there for a long time. Uh, people have been practicing you know, for over a thousand years. Uh, it's practiced by Catholics, yes. It's also practiced by every major Protestant denomination. It's a Christian calendar, not just a Catholic calendar. And Advent is a season of the, the Sundays leading up to Christmas. Now, Christmas is its own thing, right? There's 12 days of Christmas that starts on Christmas. Advent is the preparation for that season. It's like Lent. It's a season of examination. It's a season of preparation. It's a season of waiting. I think one of the great symbols for Advent is really a gift under a tree. Maybe you do Christmas trees and you wrap a gift. So for me, what I want to do with Christmas gifts, as soon as I get it, I want that person to enjoy it. And why wait, after all? As soon as you get it, I want to start enjoying it. Why wait? But a wrapped gift is there. It's accessible. And yet, I'm choosing to wait. That is Advent. Advent is waiting on the cell. It's preparation for the celebration. Advent is a Latin word, Adventus. It means coming or arrival. And it is both a retrospective look at how he has come. But mostly, Advent is a season of anticipation he is coming back. He is coming back. This is on my heart this week. Um, yesterday, in West Texas, my family got together and I wasn't able to be with them. And they scattered the ashes of my grandparents. Um, my mom's parents died during COVID. They died kind of a year apart. And we had a celebration of life and we had a memorial. Uh, but they, they waited uh, to spread the ashes so that they could all do it together. And they wanted to 
had their ashes spread in Garza County, Texas. It's just like middle of nowhere wilderness country, um, south of like Lubbock area. So my family all went out there. And guys, I am waiting to see them again. Um, my my daughter shared this morning. She says I'm I'm waiting to see Papa. That's Kelsey's grandpa. Because I just don't remember him. There's some just this waiting. Kelsey. She reminded me of some of the people that we're trying to walk with, where there's just so much hard, there's so much broken. We are waiting on things to be made right. Where they can just, instead of the wounds that they carry, to be filled with the love of God and to be face to face with somebody who dearly loves them, where they can actually see their security, where faith becomes sight. We are waiting for that. We're waiting for so many things on earth. And the solution for those things is not found in the striving. It's not found in the toiling. It's not found in the power or the money or even the family. The waiting is for him. When he comes on that glorious day, when he, he breaks through, and we get to see him face to face. Lord, come quickly. We say with the Spirit, we say with the people of God throughout all generations, we say, come quickly. Yes, Lord, come. In the Spirit, we say, come, Lord. And Advent is the season of anticipating the arrival of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. Let's wait on the Lord. And to grow our muscles for our capacity to long and to wait in hope, we choose to resist the culture of hurt. And we embrace my soul waits in silence for God. What could be different? Instead of the race that's running another lap and another lap each week of this month, to instead have a day or a time or a morning or an evening where you get to kind of go take a rest stop on that race. And you get to be with the Lord. How might January 1st, how might Christmas morning feel differently if you were able to wait on the Lord this season? Would you stay and I want to bless you in prayer and then send you to get your kids and send you out. Our Father, we're waiting on you. We're waiting on you to act. We're waiting on you to move. We're waiting on you to be near. We're waiting on you to send Jesus Christ back to restore this broken world and to raise the dead and to for the, the shouts of victory of the, the archangel and the trumpets to sound. We're waiting for that victory parade. We're waiting for you. And so as we wait, I pray that you would come near and that you would enlarge us, strengthen us, that you would let patience have its perfect course where we might find you this, this morning. Lord, bless your children as they wait. Lord Christ, would you put pictures in their minds? Would you grow their faith, grow their hope, strengthen their security in you? Lord, I pray for our college students in busyness of papers and finals. Would you help them to remember where their security, their rock, their fortress, their salvation is? For families, for those mourning, Lord, would you be our stronghold? 
Give us the security that we long for. Let us come visit you in refuge. To be filled and rested. To continue on. Thank you for your security, O rock, and our salvation.